In the digital reality, evolution over revolution prevails. The QA approaches and techniques that worked yesterday will fail you tomorrow. So free your mind. The automation cyborg has been sent back in time. TED speaker Jonathan Wright's mission is to help you save the future from bad software. Hey, and welcome to the show. Today I have a very special guest who I've known for a very long time. He's a good friend of mine, Iran. He's the chief evangelist of and author for Perfecto and also which is now Perfforce Software. You know, he's written a number of books. Uh, you know, I was lucky to be part of the, the Digital Quality Handbook. Uh, he's just put a, a latest one out on continuous testing for DevOps professional definitely recommend checking that one out uh he's the most knowledgeable person in the world when it comes to mobile so we're going to find out what he's working on now new books next generation technology exciting times hey iran hey jonathan excited to be here uh and thank you for inviting me uh hopefully it will be a nice uh, q a and uh you know bring it on Absolutely. And I, you were the first person I reached out to when I was thinking about setting up this, uh, this, this podcast. And, you know, I was sat watching your trends for 2020 and I was just blown away with kind of some of the stuff you'd be working on in AI and testing and QA. You know, would you be able to tell the, the listeners a little bit about the kind of exciting things you'd be working on? Sure. So, um, uh, obviously, I'm working on a third book, which I cannot say that much uh, about right now, but stay tuned, follow me. Uh, the thing that uh, I am able to talk about and are obviously becoming reality and will be coming even more real to all of uh, the testing practitioners out there uh, is uh, everything that is related to AI and machine learning. Uh, this is no longer, you know, a buzzword or a trend. We, uh, I actually uh, am working and involved in projects that are AI machine learning uh, driven. Uh, as mentioned, you know, I am uh, working right now and for the past eight years at Perfecto, which is a Perforce company. Uh, in the Perfecto product itself, uh, I can mention that we have in the reporting an automated root cause analysis that is driven by machine learning algorithms. We have a codeless selenium, which is based on record and playback with self-healing mechanism. So it's also machine learning. But it's not just about, you know, what I work on in Imperfecto. We see a lot of uh, new technologies and tools. Uh, KK from CloudBees just announced that he's launching a, a scriptless test automation creation that is uh, risk-based. You know, it can scan through uh, Jenkins and all the other code changes that are happening in the pipeline and based on the changes, uh, create relevant scripts that will save you time from, you know, developing, running and uh, maintaining scripts that are maybe no longer relevant. So AI machine learning and testing is definitely happening and will be a, uh, will receive a huge boost in 2020. Uh, second thing that I, I'm looking at right now, I started looking it, into it in uh, early 2019 and I start to see it becoming even more real, is everything that is about the conversion between mobile and web uh, in the form of progressive websites. So this is another topic that uh, is becoming popular, PWA. And the third one is around foldable smartphones and how they evolve and become uh, an equal citizen in the mobile testing or mobile industry uh, that we live in today. Uh, so, Jonathan, I'm happy to uh, uncover uh, specifics of each of these three trends. There are many more, but if you want, we can start with uh, talking about one or few of these ones that I just mentioned. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, you know, I'm really excited about foldables. I know there's probably only a few people that are, uh, but it always reminds me of this, the one of this, this great interaction I had with you guys. Um, so I was working, um, for a large, uh, pizza retailer and we were looking at, if you remember back in the time when the iOS, uh, watch came out and, yep. 
you know, I remember saying to you, you know, how quickly can you get one of those devices and get it docked into your system? And you were guys were the first that were there. And, it, and you know, part of what this the 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 company wanted, the pizza companies, they wanted to be the first on the on the app store. And it's kind of to me that was a, like a second screen technology because you know, even though the functionality of this this pizza app was literally just click it on and open the app up and, and do a re- repeat order. We found that actually it was really interesting because we've been using the emulators. Um, yeah. And I think emulators only get you so far when you could, and then when you've got, you've got, that's great for writing the scripts, but you know, you've got to test it on the real thing, right? Definitely. Yeah. And you've already got foldable apps, uh, phones in your, in your labs, right? Yes, yes, we have uh, the, uh, actually the two Samsung foldable smartphones, the Galaxy uh, Fold X and the Galaxy Fold Z. Uh, these are two different uh, four-factor uh, foldable smartphones running on Android 10. Um, and, uh, you know, they are not the only ones. LG uh, just launched in the cancelled Mobile World Congress event. It was cancelled, but uh, launches did happen. So LG, Samsung, uh, and Huawei are, uh, you know, the three early adopters of foldable smartphones. Um, you know, Android 10 as a, an operating system was the first operating system in the market. You know, iOS is still, I would say, lagging behind. But Android 10 came uh, out with a baked-in Samsung emulator just for developers and testers who want to get uh, started with these new uh, and exciting devices. So... Uh, Definitely, this is a challenge. These devices have a, a large price tag on them, uh, over $2,000, which is not something that uh, anyone uh, can and wants to afford. But they serve a specific purpose. They serve as like a two-in-one, a smartphone and a tablet, both in one device. Uh, and they also uh, provide users a much more flexible working environment, if you like, uh, so they can work on multiple apps like they would do in, in a normal desktop. They can work on a smartphone and then they move to the working environment, which is the tablet. And then they have three uh, applications running in the foreground in parallel. Okay. For those of you who are listening to this podcast and you are an Android users, you know that once you're putting an app in the foreground, the others go to the background. You know, with foldables and Android 10, all the three applications are running in the same time, actually competing on resources on the same time. So you can think about a browser, which, which you are uh, looking for a restaurant. You talked about a pizza <laughs> delivery. So you are looking for a pizza. You are opening the Chrome browser on the, the Samsung Galaxy Fold, and it launches, the let's say, the, the Waze or the Google Maps. Uh, application, they are all running in parallel, so you can see the menu on the browser, and you can navigate to this location on the GPS application, all in the same time, all in the foreground. Uh, that sounds like there's a whole stack of new possible challenges. You know, I remember, you know, being daunted by IRQs when they came out and that, you know, gave you that kind of ability to have a channel to request on. But if you're sharing resources like the camera, like the, the GPX information and the GPS, you know, all these sensors, you know, how well are they going to react with, you know, multiple, you know, applications accessing them at the same time? Yeah, yeah. So the, the the resource allocation, the resource management is becoming extremely challenging. And also keep in mind, uh, Jonathan, the, the event management. You know, uh, when you have three applications running in the be- in not in the background, in the foreground, and you're also getting a phone call or a push notification from an app or a message, everything you know happens at once for you. And this is not just from a testing perspective is a headache, but also from a user perspective, users kind of needs to learn a new way of engaging with smartphones uh, because things happen in parallel um, and they need to kind of prioritize. This is why, uh, to your point about resource management, if an app that will be maybe... Uh, docked as an always-on application won't behave properly, will uh, drain too much resources and stuff like that, this app will be undocked quite fast and, uh, you know, allocate room for a different one which uh, behaves more nicely uh, from an end-user perspective. 
So this is definitely a mindset changing for both application developers, testers, but also for the users who now have a new way of engaging with apps. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable how far things have come. And I remember this great example when I was working with you guys, and we were we were building a, a smart city uh, application. So it was uh, for the city of Copenhagen. It was this uh, the ability to to help them become carbon neutral by twenty twenty. Um, and then you know part of what it was doing was recommending the most carbon neutral route to work. So we we paired up with you guys because there was no possible way that a we were going to get devices that amount of devices that we needed but uh, with that variety but also we needed this ability to inject the gpx so we could actually see these phones believing that they're moving around the city of copenhagen so you know i remember working with you guys and, and uzi around extending that capability which was you know just feeding that sensor data and then we could run those devices even though they weren't there a bit like with the pokemon kind of thing but they could actually feel like they were walking around the city and, and this was fascinating and one of the things we did it uh, and we learned was we because we we looked at crowd testing um and what we asked uh, the, the the copenhagen university uh, students to do is actually to have a gpx logger on there and start you know tracking uh, taking sample data so we could then create synthetic uh, out of that delta we could take a huge generate uh you know four billion different historical transactions for the the smart city data exchange so that way it had historical information in there of different routes and recommendations that it made but one of the things we identified with perfecto and i don't think it would have been possible without you guys was you know the, the sheer battery drain because obviously we were, were sampling data data and gpx information and you know p- nobody deal can you know likes an app which you know drains battery if you've got three apps open all looking and trying to access resources um you know and some of these things are quite heavy heavy especially when you start looking at augmented reality like what the pokemon go did you know part of it is it starts draining because it's using the camera uh you know it's it's pr- the processors are getting uh, absolutely hammered so you know there's all these different aspects which i don't think people uh, are completely familiar with especially when they think about everyday use of their mobile app and and, and and what that actually means as far as resources you know do you find that there's either more sensor data coming out with these devices that actually you might want to interact with like i guess you know you always used to be able to tilt it but can you tilt the individual dock screens or you know is there is there more functionality like being able to allocate it to a particular window Yes, yes. So, um, and I can share uh, with you, Jonathan, uh, for you to share also with the audience. Uh, I actually ran a webinar where I drafted an entire test plan, if you like, for testing foldable smartphones. So, um, in order for Android developers who are listening uh, to to this uh, podcast, uh, to have them join the party of foldable smartphones, because if you don't do anything to your app, the app will... You know, when someone launches it, it will be launched. And, uh, you know, when you close uh, the screen or unfold it or fold it, uh, it will probably go to the background. Uh, from Android Q, Android 10 and above, you have uh, uh, a flag in your manifest in the Android application uh, to allow, enable, if you like, multi, multi-resume uh, cap- capability. It's like a new capability added to the, to the manifest file of the Android app that enables multi-resume. Multi-resume is the enabler of three applications running in parallel. So uh, you can see that an app can move from a pause to a resume state upon uh, folding and unfolding the device. But if the multi-resume flag is not enabled, set to true, it won't resume automatically, okay? So going to your que- back to your question, you can define that uh, a specific app, uh, up to three applications, uh, are located in a specific area on the screen. And once the, you enable the multi-resume, they will always be there uh, upon closing the device or unfolding the device. Uh, so um, th- this is something that uh, mostly Android developers and testers need to know, uh, both from a development but then also from a testing perspective. So uh, split window, multi-resume, these are new terms that uh, any Android application developer and tester needs to start getting used to from Android Q, Android uh, 10 and above. And you know, Jonathan, we are now in days that Android 11 is already in uh, beta 2. 
So we are expecting late summer to see a new Android uh, being released to the market, uh, uh, maybe with more foldables also uh, uh, being also introduced. Yeah, it's, it's, that's really interesting because you know I know the the new iOS they've got uh, the new uh, headphones that are coming on because they noticed the new icon that obviously if you've got the AirPods you know you see the icon they've got noise you know uh, noise cancelling capabilities so you know the ability to do audio validation and input from the microphone you know I know you guys support biometrics as well things like Face ID I saw the the webinar you guys did with the the guy from ThoughtWorks yeah. you know. These are all different types of, of inputs, you know, and, you know, the ability to in, inject video and, and images, um, you know, and also you, uh, iOS, uh, you know, are looking at the, the new things like the eyeglasses, right? So you're going to start having uh, AR as well uh, and MR. So mixed reality capabilities where actually apps are going to start docking in the screen as a proud previous owner off the google glasses oh, yeah. <laughs> you know the you, you, that never really worked out but you know this time round, do you see that actually that you do you predict that you're going to start seeing the the kind of the mix between you know mixed reality start coming through down the line maybe 2022 or something um definitely uh i didn't start talking about 5g but you know with 5g uh being deployed uh, all around the globe uh, I think that you will start seeing much more advanced technologies, including AR, VR, large video streaming capabilities, uh, smart cities, and everything connected uh, becoming more uh, advanced and more adopted. Uh, I think that in the past, technology uh, wasn't ready uh, for devices like the, uh, the Google Glasses and other uh, you know, connected devices, uh, IoT devices. I think that as 5G becomes... Uh, widely spread, and I think we are already, I would say, in a 30 to 40 percent global uh, spread of 5G. It's not perfect yet, but it's getting there. So I would say late 2020, as 5G is totally there, and you start seeing, you know, uh, even uh, last February, uh, Samsung and Apple, by the way, is also talking about a new iPhone that is being launched in September uh, with a tag 5G. It's going to be iPhone Pro 5G. So I think with all these 5G enablers, uh, you will start seeing, maybe in 2021, to be more realistic, uh, a new range of technologies, connected devices, connected cities, uh, healthcare, cars, everything that was talked about in the past few years as part of the digital transformation. Uh, going back to your chapter, by the way, in, in my book, in our book, um, I think that this is happening and I think that the 5G will be the barrier that, uh, or the uh, unblocker uh, to this evolution uh, that we will see. No, I, I completely agree. And I definitely recommend for anyone, you know, spin up Amazon now, type in the digital quality handbook. You can get it on uh, both Kindle. You can also get it on uh, as a physical book and also in color. Um, and I'm sure if, if you ask uh, Iran nicely, he'll he'll probably get give us an audio book one day as well. <laughs> but yeah, as a jokes aside, but you know, I, you know, I know as a Tesla kind of owner now, you know, the, the technology that's in there um, for self-driving, you know, fair enough, there's still a long way before, you know, we're going to get to the, be completely autonomous. But, you know, even the mini, you're starting to see these head, heads up displays, but also with the, the mini glasses actually have information about coming from the car around the speed, uh, around uh, the, 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 the sat nav all overlaid into the glasses. So, you know, these things aren't that far away. And, you know, once the technology's there, you know, people will come up with new and exciting, creative ways of doing that. But you're absolutely right. You need that 5G bandwidth to kind of remove the, the light, latency. And I, I remember if you've, if you've seen my TED talk, the, there's a, in the background, there's this uh, a really good example around um, Car2X and Infrastructure2X where people are walking around a city and you know it's giving you information about you know keep off the road because there's a car coming so it goes red you know there's a uh, heads up uh, information about the person who's coming towards you that it, you know or you know is you know maybe uh, some of the predictive crime stuff that we did or even you know coronavirus is saying please keep it 
certain distance away from it, all that information being he- overlaid, you cut the latencies have to be reduced. You know, 4G was never really fit for that kind of thing. You know, 5G is going to definitely see the increase of, you know, infrastructure to, um, Infra- uh, to M to M connections and this kind of this support for IoT, you know, do you do you see that you know there's a lot more device interactions that you know are upstream and downstream from a mobile device that people are doing, like you know accessing you know their TV, accessing their you know their their smart home, their smart office, you know. You know, do people test these to the level that they need to, you know, connected car? And, you know, I know the guys, uh, when I talked to them, at, you know, at one of the German manufacturers, they still go in and manually test their systems, you know, or use an emulator, it, you know, because, you know, it's difficult to have a, an entire car sat in your in your test lab. But, you know, I, you know, there's there's no for me, there's no um, there's there's no substitute for physical hardware and not over emulation you know is is that what you're kind of seeing as well so uh i see a mix actually of things so some of our customers without naming them uh from the uh automotive industry are testing their smart uh setup box if you like in the in our cloud so they actually have a simulator that is basically uh the the screen with all the technology that you have in the cars uh hosted in the cloud connecting via bluetooth two devices uh, to a perfecto cloud of devices and they are doing uh, a lot of uh, not just voice but also uh, GUI testing, synchronization uh, testing between the devices and the the smart box that is uh, baked into each of these cars. So uh, I see that and you know this is not uh, the device or the mobile phone tested against the real car, it's against the box that is built into the car, it's as close as possible. Uh, and it reduces a bit, you know, the the, the over um, say overload that you have when testing it just manually. So I see a mix of uh, complementary manual testing that is done uh, within a specific segment. You mentioned automotive; it can be also healthcare. We are also uh, doing testing for healthcare with uh, you know smart uh, glucose connectors that are Bluetooth based uh, BLE devices that are connecting with uh, smartphones to report back to the uh, healthcare uh, provider uh, about your glucose levels, uh, diabetes uh, st- status, and stuff, stuff like that. So I think I'm starting to see, going back to your initial question, I'm starting to see more and more use cases that are across the verticals, healthcare, automotive, uh, retail as well. You know, one of the retailers, uh, retailer that works with us uh, has kind of a uh, GPS-baked uh, uh, capability in his mobile app that when you get into the stores, it can actually, based on your interest and previous uh, purchases, can guide you like a GPS application uh, to the exact same zone uh, so it will save you time when you're going to buy a specific uh, artifact. So uh, I start to see much more advanced uh, capabilities in mobile that are also connecting to IoT devices. Um, so definitely the innovation never stops, especially these days. And going back to the 5G comment, 5G network, uh, resilient networks are uh, enablers for such innovation. Yeah, I, I was always when it when the launch of five G came out, it was obviously I was really excited. Um, uh, but I also remember the four G rollout for when I was living in New Zealand, and oh, yeah. you know I, there was a really good case which they had, which they, they used it as a test location. It was one of the first places to to roll out four G, and uh, there was this small problem that everything rolled out perfectly. They got great connections, but then the emergency services uh, didn't, you know, weren't able to dial through. So people actually died from the roll out of 4g over in new zealand Uh, and you know it's kind of you know you look at that kind of side of things of new versus old technology and 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 we were talking a little bit about it today in the sense of you know unfortunately due to kind of the 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 coronavirus you know a lot of what was retail 
systems are getting a lot more uh, traffic. You know, they're under a lot more load. You know, I remember, um, and I, I, we're going to get Todd DiCaprio on the show, uh, and, you know, partly we, he came from Shunra for the network virtualization. And the first ever demo he showed me, which I, I couldn't believe my eyes with, was around just the, the additional load that was put on by latency because, you know, the latency, what was associated with mobile traffic meant that, you know, all your hardware is stuck waiting for that response to come through. And while it's waiting, it's not able to get on with other things. Now, yes, architecture slightly changed now, but at the same time, what 5G is doing in essence is reducing that um, that latency and that amount of time. So it's actually, it's like a desktop equivalent. Uh, you know, so you get, you're actually going to start getting more load on systems w- with less latency, which means you know there's going to be a different type of traffic profile. You know, do, are you starting to kind of see that as far as kind of what the data throughputs are on a device that is throttled at 4G at versus 5G, and and what that actually means for the the, the kind of the round trip of of, of a, a request going through to to an end system. Yes, yes, totally. Uh, but uh, I think that uh, even before that, uh, what I am mostly concerned on, uh, concerned about, is um, you know we we are discussing you know the network um, contribution to user experience issues, the adoption of five G to enable technologies. But if you look specifically and uh, also from your own daily experience, uh, Jonathan, we've just seen today. Uh, some uh, specific uh, retail and uh, healthcare websites. And uh, I think that this concept of shift left and shift right uh, as a whole topic, that's that's what concerns me the most today. Uh, I think that we are actually advancing this discussion uh, while the market today, in my mind, doesn't really consider non-functional testing. And it's not just about performance. It's performance and security and accessibility uh, as something that is equal in priority and importance like any functional and regression testing that you are doing. Uh, I see it over and over again. Uh, You don't need to wait for this Black Fridays and other uh, major events to see that uh, websites, mobile web applications, hybrid applications are not ready for uh, not even prime time for uh, just something above normal uh, load. Uh, perspective. So this is my major concern today. Uh, what what do you see from your own projects that you are uh, you know involved in today? Yeah, no, I'd say probably exactly the same thing. There's two two dangers which I see. The first one is that mobile development, because of the technology that you're doing, doesn't always share the same as the the the, the full stack teams. You know, there is some re, there is some reuse. So obviously with React Native, um, you, you know, I'm doing a project at the moment React Native, um, but you know, the e-commerce website is built on a different type of architecture, and you know, maybe that's Ruby on Rails, maybe that's some other MVC. Kind Kind of thing but you know the app is separate is separate team so they're going at different speeds yeah but you know from a business perspective you know whether or not they're doing you know bimodal tri trimodal kind of approach to how fast they're they're releasing the this kind of ops dev approach of what is the operational state that you have to understand so you know the big one that i found the hard way was you know google analytics doesn't support you know information around mobile you have to go through firebase right so you're getting different metrics which are the same metrics for the business the business care about you know if conversion rates then you know retention and you know people coming back but they're getting data from two different sources and then what that you're having to do is you're then having to pull that data together to then give you a kind of a view of why mobile and web should be a single pane um and i think that's a real challenge because that's where people have got uh, things like snowflake and they're starting to have data scientists to get the and data engineering you know this data engineering in test kind of uh, uh, roles kind of emerging where they're having to get 
uh, information from different sources of truth. And from an operational standpoint, the ops guys really need to understand, well, what is the end state? What are they looking for? You know, what are they looking for as far as, you know, you might have a, a McAfee from a security perspective. You may have some really snazzy APM. Uh, AI ops is obviously a, a big trend. So your Dynatracers, your new relics, your, your APDs, uh, your splunts in the world are taking all this data and doing your really cool stuff with it. But they're still treating mobile and web as separate streams of information. And that doesn't help when it comes to cascading KPIs and, and exec dashboards and understanding operational status as of, you know, well, what happens if this system goes down? What How does the systemic failure work? You know, this site reliability engineering and chaos engineering is something which i think people aren't really you know extending out to mobile yet yes they may be thinking about web you know they might think well what happens if they pull down this particular node does it spin back up what kind of data uh you know how does the how does it uh, the fallback or self-heal but you know i think mobile is still Un, you know, is territory that people aren't completely f- familiar with. And I think, you know, uh, you know, I was talking to you about uh, doing some work around telemetry beforehand on embedding telemetry in, in React Native so that I can understand more about what's going on with the user, you know, what they, ha- what, what activities are they doing? What are they interacting for? How long are they waiting for things to become enabled? And, you know, what's the end experience? And I, I think digital experience analytics to me is the, is the big thing where they pull in all these different data sources from APMs, from all these different tools from the IT operations landscape, and they start seeing a single pane of glass, you know, of what's happening operationally and with their cloud infrastructure, their their multi-cloud, you know, across a different number of different providers, as well as hybrid as well thrown in just to confuse things. And, you know, I think there is still a massive divide between... ADM, so application delivery management and dev, shall we call it, and then the ops side of things and the IT operations management and the speeds which both of those and the innovation that happens between both of those. So that's kind of where I'm seeing it. And I know you're kind of at the forefront of kind of AI and, you know, AI within the test, you know, but I'm guessing you've also seen what the AI in, in, in operations can also do and how that data kind of has to come together from a shift left and a shift right perspective. I, I, I totally think so. Yeah, I, I definitely think so, uh, Jonathan. And, uh, you know, just wanted to say something about the previous comment, uh, you know, the, the previous discussion on, on the network. Um, I forgot to mention... Uh, an important asset or important uh, resource that I tend to go to when I'm, uh, you know, discussing with clients on uh, things around shifting left, uh, performance testing, user experience. So I don't know if you are following or you are using the Open Signal uh, website, but Open Signal is uh, a very, it's free and it's a very good resource that shows you at any given time per geography, UK, Germany, uh, Australia, whatever location that you think about, uh, the current benchmark uh, distributed by different telcos. So let's say for the US, you will get Verizon, T-Mobile, AT&T, and Sprint, dif- uh, you know, differentiated by download speed, uh, by 4G adoption, 5G, um, and other metrics, you know, and it, it gives like a score, a benchmark per each category on of network performance. And you can, A, you can choose the top performing one and the least performing one as part of your testing strategy. But also you can understand some of the implications on your end users uh, if you do not really test uh, against these providers because they will definitely suffer and you have the ability to optimize on your end some of the uh you know the cause the load or whatever optimizations that you can think of in your app i I think that's really great advice and it's interesting when it gets down to this network level and i I, you know i had i was in uh france with uh someone who was talking about you know just the difference between network switches you know in, in in different sites for different organizations and you know people are vpning in now from kind of their into their work offices by working remotely you know you've starting to add these additional layers whether that be cisco or it could be your citrix kind of a uh, thick kind of uh, uh, dis- uh, re- 
virtual desktop on demand. You know, they've got all these different uh, aspects which you've got to think about, but people are kind of expecting them to to be able to run at kind of these these fast response times. And, you know, you've got things like SpeedTaker. This is a test and you've got, there's a number of apps out there where you can capture uh, what the actual traffic is like on a site. And, you know, I had this where I was sticking uh um, a Raspberry Pi at each one of our locations. It was a, it was a building man, uh, construction company, and some of them had you know were building in the middle of nowhere. So as you could probably expect, a bit like what we did with Copenhagen, you know, w- when people got on the, the the train from the airport, everyone was on the shared one meg connection that was free Wi Fi on the on the on on the train, and packet loss, time to re- retry, you know. Pay, you know apps just wasn't dealing very well because not not many of them have this kind of catch for you know if there's a they lose signal you just get these really obscure kind of error messages and you know i think you can't we can't get get away with those things anymore because you know people um have less and less tolerance for um th- for mobile applications just not performing as they should do and you know especially recently you know with everything that's going on yeah. there's a lot more load coming through and you've got people you know we we had disney plus launch um recently like this week uh, in the uk um you know i know when it, when it launched over uh, in the states you know they had a challenge um with with you know the sites the the, the the service being unavailable you know this is big brand damage for some of these kind of organizations and you know i think a focus maybe needs to move and shift away from um you know mobile uh, from the website side of things and focus more towards the mobile aspect because you know we're getting to that turning point where you know there's more people using mobile and yes they may be using your your website but i remember looking at, on your site a, 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 a note 10 uh, which had a huge resolution and and therefore when i opened chrome up and went to the mobile version of uh, a website it was just physically unreadable it didn't scale i couldn't actually interact with any of the menus because they were too small you know i think people still think that the easy way around is just to have a website that works with a mobile um and i think it's it's getting more complex than that and you know i talk uh, talked to you said about you know how such a big advocate i am for physical devices you know we caught this error which was um we couldn't the emulators just wouldn't pick up which was we do 90 percent of our advertising through facebook uh facebook loads a browser which is a in uh window browser which is a cut down version of uh safari it's not the whole you know it's not chrome or anything like that and on certain uh, um, Android devices, uh, on s- certain form factors, you know, it wouldn't, it literally wouldn't load. And, you know, it was because of the capability of that in browser on that particular release uh, of, of the phone. And, you know, I just think, you know, this ha- there's a lot of, you know, cross-browser testing focus, but, you know, nobody's, unlo- apart from you guys, have really nailed the cross-mobile or high-performance mobile testing. You know, I, I really think that, you know, most organizations that are out there really need to think about how do they make sure they know, you know, at a, a bare minimum, you know, you're going onto your, you know, your Google Analytics, which everyone's got, you go in there, you're pulling your devices, you know, if you've not downloaded already i'd recommend to download the the mobile test coverage that you guys put out you know to tell you what kind of devices are typically in your region what kind of split and you know literally make sure that you're getting the right type of devices i've got behind me a, a window uh, an ios um se because the font you know the, the screen factor on there is you know is much smaller and, and some apps just don't load yeah. and you know it's amazing that these things are still happening and you know I, when i spoke to someone recently about it and i said to him well um you know android still represents one third of your users they said oh well you know We'll, we'll do the iOS first because you know that it, that's the one that everyone uses. And I was like, well, well, no, because if one third of your customers, that's one third of your revenues. Equally, if you're looking at the the two thirds of your revenue, which is iOS 
apparently, then look at the breakdown of devices and you'll find that actually your older devices, your iOS 6s and your 7s, which are, you know are starting to get restricted on iOS version upgrades, are literally kind of getting end of life and are still having a really bad experience with the mobile app. So, you know, there's so many things that people need to kind of take into consideration. And I think the, the mobile test coverage guide is an essential piece of work because, you know, it changes from country to country. I remember last time I was in, um, so it is a Canadian podcast, this, but in Canada, people still use um, Blackberries because, you know, it's, it, you know, it's still still a device that's registered on there. Whereas, you know, we, we've seen the end of kind of the Windows phones, you know, it's, it's you know, it is a two horse race at the moment. But, you know, do you see, you know, things like the an Android variation for your Hawaii's who are kind of getting pulled from from being able to use the, the Google uh uh, repository you know do you think things are starting going to start changing you still see the more variation in the in the android landscape yeah and uh, the, the fact that you mentioned you know the, the coverage and your experience especially with the se uh, as as you speak i'm uh, you know these days i'm authoring a new version of the index of the coverage index report um and yeah i, I think that uh, at the end of the day the end user does not care uh which device he's using or which browser is opening is uh, always going to blame the application vendor or the website designer if something doesn't work. You won't go back to Apple and say, listen, uh, I'm using the iPhone SE and the app doesn't uh, look nice on my device. Uh, it's the application developers and testers' responsibility to ensure that the app works. And you mentioned Google Analytics. Uh, the developers, the business knows at any given time which chunk of the industry the target market uses which application which devices so uh, it needs to be uh, part of a testing strategy that accommodates the coverage considerations so uh, that's definitely a, a valid point uh, so yeah stay tuned for the next uh, edition of the index it will be a 2020 edition with all the considerations and back to your point, you know, on the mobile and cross-mobile testing, Jonathan, uh, Perfecto uh, gives you not just uh, the mobile testing, but we also have like a Selenium grid in the cloud. So you can actually test across both mobile devices and desktop browsers, desktop virtual machines uh, in parallel at the same time. So think about having a responsive web application today that obviously needs to run on any Android, uh, iOS, tablets and desktops. You can test all of them at once uh, using Selenium on the Perfecto cloud. So it's not just mobile, it's mobile and web, uh, which is the current reality, as we mentioned earlier. Yeah, and I know, you know, the the continuous testing book which you wrote is is a fantastic resource. You know, I was a big fan of the quantum framework when it when it first came out with this kind of, you know, the idea of having something like BDD um uh, in cucumber in this case uh, and and really start baking it into your um into your developers kind of landscape. You know, I I think this is it's something that I personally you know, recently got a bit more hands-on with and you know there's so much variation of people using different ides using different versions of java using you know whether they're using maven they're using uh gradle you know uh, it's there's so much variation in, the, in out there and also in the, uh, the the ci the continuous integration and, uh, and and continuous delivery tool sets you know it's great to have this kind of low code approach to to be able to actually start running against so many tests very quickly you know if you go into the perfecto cloud you can literally run you know click on the different uh gestures you can do whatever you want and then you can capture out the the actual um script out of the back of it and i know you've done a lot around this kind of scriptless landscape which is you know it's fantastic because this otherwise there's just no way to keep up definitely definitely totally second that point and and so I know you. One of the other things you've talked about, you know, the, is the shift potentially from uh, kind of Appium, which you know, to potentially looking at Flutter as a kind of uh, a new way of doing cross-platform app app development, which is d done by Google. You know, are you seeing people? Um, you know, uh, it's starting to ramp up the amount of people using the the SDK for that. Um, it's. 
being adopted slowly um, I think that today still the majority relies on Appium you know Appium is, has been out there for a long while and people have the existing scripts but I can tell you that for uh, application developers that are just now starting to write a whole new mobile application native application or hybrid as well uh, they are looking at both you know uh, or multiple technologies flutter in one hand as the ability not just to provide you a cross-platform development uh, framework so you can actually write with one single code code base an app that runs on iOS and Android but you can also get underneath from Google a supporting test automation framework quite similar to the the Appium driver uh, so uh, it's an alternative for new application developers for the ones that are existing uh, or they are maintaining existing mobile applications, I still see, you know, Appium, Espresso, and XUI test as the leading frameworks uh, of choice. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that. Like, I kind of love that kind of flexibility which you've got, and I, I love the how easy it is also to connect, you know, a, de- a reserve a device which you've got, and then be able to run that as part of your pipeline against a selection of devices that you just pass in the codes for. You know, that makes it really nice and simple, especially within without within Appium. But you know, one of the challenges that you know I think we were talking about before, but was this kind of, well, you know things like crash analytics and stuff, you, you're starting to see a lot of the APMs out there offering the t- telemetry information to to kind of give you more information about what happens when a crash happens, you know, give more information about battery drain and, and, and device debugging information. You know, do you think that's going to be something we're going to start seeing more of as well? Is this kind of more information and, uh, and insight that's coming out of on user behavior of what's actually happening on a, on a physical device? And maybe some of these APMs moving from, you know, synthetic tests, which maybe don't really prove anything to actually start, you know, using real devices to uh, to make sure that the services are up and, you know, they are able to kind of um, connect to the, you know, the, the maybe the uh your uh, secondary signing kind of capabilities with two-factor authentication, which you get with Apple and stuff. You know, do you think they're going to start using real devices to to prove the system is working and the mobile apps loading the the apps and uh, the the pages in the, uh, the and the screens in, in in a reasonable amount of time? Yeah, I, I think and uh, I think that both myself and I think you as well, Jonathan, we're talking about this uh, for uh, multiple years now, and I think that. Uh, as this uh, entire industry shifts to digital only, especially these days, you know, when we are uh, discussing in the podcast, I think that uh, digital has clearly won. And uh, when we talk about digital, we're talking about physical devices, uh, physical platforms uh, that needs to work at any given time across different networks, capabilities, screen sizes, operating system versions, and stuff like that. So I think that uh, we are past the excuses time and uh, it's now, you know, every user expectation that things will simply work uh, reliably uh, with good performance, good functionality, regardless of the type of device, whether it's an iPhone SE with a 4-inch screen size or a foldable or uh, a new uh, Samsung which has 6.9 inches screen. So it's it's no longer uh, an issue. It simply needs to work. That's it. Absolutely. And, and, you know, where people have spent so much focus on, uh, you know, making sure that their website is is working and people optimizing maybe the checkout because there's, uh, you know, the bounce rate's high. You know, you're going to start seeing that to, you know, so people actually understand down to, well, what is the activities that people are trying to do on their mobile phone? What's the user behavior changing? How is it behave, the, that behavior changing as time, time evolves? Because I think a lot of people miss this kind of well early adopters you know they're more tolerant typically of of issues but then you know if you've ever seen uh, read the book bridging the chasm you know part of it is how do you get across to the early majority and the late majority and the laggards you know t- where the big adoption is you know i see so many new apps on the app store that are incredibly promising and then you know they kind of just 
you know if they don't work you know they just get deleted and and it's a kind of a fire and forget kind of approach and you know some apps make it some apps don't you know and if you really want that engagement and you want people to keep on coming back you've got to build better apps and you know i think you know the only way they can do that is with real devices uh and utilizing you know the latest capabilities which you guys are offering um and i know we could literally talk about this for for all day but uh you know uh, have you got i know you've got a a, a upcoming uh, event which you're doing on the 1st of april yeah. uh which is going to be around mobile and web yeah. uh, you know could you give a you know g- give the uh listeners kind of some of the things that they can start signing up for uh you know ways to get in touch with you some of the little projects that you're working on that you can share with people and the best way to contact you sure sure jonathan so uh just uh, to your previous uh comment on uh uh you know the the i would say the one chance that you have with mobile apps uh and that's you know behind the second book that i authored around continuous testing continuous testing enables you to keep up with your end users expectations because you can get it right for version 1.2 and everyone would like it, it will uh, rate it five stars. If 1.3 or uh, 2.0 doesn't work fine, they will delete it. So it's, you don't, ha- you don't enjoy uh, maintaining quality. Uh, you need to continuously maintain it uh, to gain continuous customer retention. Uh, you fail once, Maybe they will forgive you. You fail twice, definitely uh, your app will be deleted. So that's just uh, back to your previous comment. Regarding uh, the upcoming things that uh, I'm involved in, and for those of you who are not following me on Twitter, you can search Eran Kinswunner on Twitter or LinkedIn and uh, feel free to connect with me. I accept everyone. Uh, so this is one. I'm going to run next week, uh, April 1st, um, a, a webinar about why it's so important, especially uh, due to the recent events that we are all facing. It's important to move your testing into a cloud infrastructure, whether it's mobile or web. You need to have a continuous testing mechanism engine that works regardless of anything else that happens around you in your business, in the world. So uh, it's all going to be focused on the benefits of a cloud solution as part of your testing strategy and how to actually get started with testing in the cloud. So that's uh, the upcoming webinar. Uh, Mentioned earlier as well, uh, if you uh, care about test automation coverage, as Jonathan uh, highlighted, I am authoring, and it's going to be probably out in May, uh, a new version of the test coverage index featuring nine different uh, countries across all continents. So if you have a multi-regional application or website that you want to know on which platforms, websites, uh, web browsers, and mobile uh, devices to test against, stay tuned for the release of the next index. And also stay tuned for a potentially upcoming new book later this uh, year. Uh, I will provide comments as uh, soon as I can on that as well. Wonderful. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on your show. And if you've not checked out Perfecto yet, go to perfecto.io to find out. It's a free trial. Literally, you can click up, register, and have access straight to the labs and devices totally free. So I definitely recommend, you know, it's the best in classes when it comes to mobile testing. So, you know, thanks so much for being on the show. And we will have to get you back talking about more future trains later in the year. Looking forward. Thank you for having me, Jonathan. Thank you so much.